the joy of our salvation that we might teach sinners your ways. God, it's got to be the joy of knowing Jesus. Make it real who you are. Help us to fall in love with you over again. Holy Spirit, be about everything we're going to say and do. Holy Spirit, we press pause and we wait on you. Father, that you're going to do something in our midst beyond just what we hear with our natural ears, but God, what we hear with our spiritual hearts. And Lord, change us by who you are, the Word of God. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. The joy of harvest, that there is joy in Jesus. And do I have the joy of knowing Jesus? I'll be honest, even as I've been in ministry and been in church, I've been in church my whole life and and so I know what it looks like to be a Christian. I know what it sounds like uh, from what I thought I understood. And I know what it looks like to go to church. I know how to have a good church service. But then sometimes you, you get along in life and you see someone, you're like, man, that person is happy to be saved. That person is excited about what God has done in their life. And then you look at your life, if you've been in church for a while, you've been a believer for a while, and you think, man, I need to get back to what that person has. I need to fall in love with Jesus over and over again. And do I have the joy of knowing Jesus? I think, <clears throat> I think we lose the joy sometimes when we get in the routine of church going. I say churchianity a lot. We have churchianity. We're really good at churchianity. We know how to have good church and what good church is like. But are we truly joyful at the transformation that we've found in Jesus, have we forgotten what it was like to be without him? And for those of us, myself included, who have grown up in church, sometimes it's even harder because we don't have this stark contrast, but we just have to look at who he is and fall in love with him over and over again. We can lose that joy when we get to be more about the do's and the don'ts, when we get angry I find myself getting angry maybe more about problems in this world than what I gain in the next. It's really easy to get angry with what we see in the world, frustrated with what we see in the world. And then we, even to add it, the attitude measure of our week, if we were to take a thermometer, it'd be we were more angry than joyful. We we're more frustrated than joyful that all the things that we don't like are happening in our life. And have we lost the joy of Jesus? Sometimes I think we need to remember what we've gained in Christ. And I have to ask myself, is my Christianity attractive? Oh, sure, I believe. Sure, I know. Sure, I have the right doctrine, and, and I believe I'm going to heaven. But is my Christianity attractive? When someone sees me, do they say, wow, that guy loves the Lord? Is it life-giving? Is it joyful? Is it winning? And what I see in Scripture as we open up things tonight, I see an overcoming joy from knowing Jesus. Just a simple overcoming joy from knowing Jesus. Why? Because there's joy in Jesus. Somebody say amen. I want to talk to you about the joy of harvest. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3. If you're there, somebody say amen. All right. It says this, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Look at that. He's talking about there's a coming Messiah. He says that you 
will multiply the nations, increase their gladness. They'll be glad with your presence, the gladness of harvest. It's going to be like when men rejoice when they divide the spoil of a conquest. What is the gladness of harvest? Go back in ancient times, man, when they had a harvest, it meant the Lord had been gracious and abounding to them, that the rains former and latter had come, the spring rain and the fall rain had come, and then when you had a harvest and it was abundant and it was good, you'd call the laborers in your, vi- in your vineyard or your field, you reap it, you take it in, and you find that even the, in the story of Boaz and Ruth, he sleeps on the grain, they rejoice on the grain. Sometimes there would be parades, there would be excitement, there would be a season of giving. And not only that, you'd be, thank the Lord, there's abundance. Guess what? Now I can rest I have abundance, I have rest, I have security for my family that we're going to make it another year. And there's a generosity often that came that I could give to the poor and I could give to this cause and then I could praise the Lord and we would take our harvest in and the tenth of our tithe would go to the Lord and we would go to the temple with singing and dancing and tambourines giving that offering to the Lord. That's what he's talking about. He says, when this guy comes on the scene, it will be as if a gladness of harvest, there will be abundance, there will be rest, there will be security, there will be generosity, there will be praise when this guy shows up. Isaiah says that when that Messiah comes, he's going to increase your gladness, it will be joyful, there will be plenty, there will be richness, there will be fatness, there will be rest, there will be provision, there will be abundance. In the next verse, he says, even the yoke of their burden will be broken. War is going to end because a child will be born to us. Okay, now fast forward to Matthew 9. This child is born. The one who brings the joy of harvest, the one who gains plenty and rest and security and provision and generosity and praise. And Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 9, verse 35 says, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, what? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The same passage, the religious elite, the Pharisees are criticizing, comparing Jesus, and the sinners are rejoicing. They're rejoicing. This guy, he's meeting the sinners and they're rejoicing. You have a Zacchaeus and a Matthew giving up all their lucrative tax collecting. You have a, uh, and they begin to invest in the ministry of Jesus. You have prostitutes who are giving up their precious oils and lavishing them at his feet. You have people who are country fishermen who are leaving their daddy's fishing boat and leaving it empty and the daddy's fishing business empty to go follow this guy, joyfully leaving everything behind because they were a part of the gladness of harvest. You see, the people who were participating in the harvest had joy. This was the Lord of the harvest who had come, Jesus, the giver of the Holy Spirit, had come and there was a season of gladness and joy that had finally arrived and every person who began to participate and see the harvest had joy and then Jesus says what? 
says, guys, this harvest of joy is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not that many joyful participators. There's not that many people who are rejoicing in the spoil that I'm giving. There's not that many people who are participating in the harvest that I'm giving. Pray for laborers because few are harvesting. I think about that as that, man, are we a part of something that is so joyful, so exciting, so awesome and universal salvation history that this guy has come. Do I have the same thing as these early disciples that said, I'm willing to give it all away? And even with interest, Zacchaeus says, I'm willing to pour out my 401k like the woman with the, with the alabaster box. I'm willing to give $30,000 at his feet. And it seems like a waste to people, but I'm doing it joyfully because of who he is. The harvest of joy is plenty, but the laborers, now I'll just say the worshipers, the joyful, the excited, they're few. Who is this Jesus for which we should be joyful? Who's this guy? I think that's the question. I don't, am I in love with this guy? Do I really, really love him? Do I know him and love him? Who is this Jesus for which we should be joyful? Let's just go on a little journey. When this Jesus wasn't yet born yet, John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. The Bible says the Magi rejoiced exceedingly with joy, with great joy, when they saw his star. Jesus begins to preach a kingdom that's like a hidden treasure that for joy the man sold all that he had that he might purchase the field and buy it. People thought he was crazy, but for joy he sold everything to buy the kingdom of God. He talks about Jesus coming to give us a joy that would be made full in John 16. He says those who believe would be welcomed into the eternal joy of their master. He goes on, he says, in fact, all of heaven rejoices with joy just when one sinner comes into this harvest, when one sinner is reaped out of a devil's hell, man, then enters into this place that all of heaven erupts with joy. This is a season of joy. This is a harvest of joy. And one sinner makes all of heaven rejoice. And how can a church not rejoice the same way? When the 70 returned preaching Jesus, they came back, guess what? In joy. Man, the demons are even subject to your name. Man, they were rejoicing that Jesus works. This guy is awesome. And Jesus shows up on the Mount of Olives right before Palm Sunday, and then all the people began to praise God joyfully for all the miracles they'd seen. Even the disciples, as Jesus began to ascend and he had left them, the Bible says in Luke 24 that they continued to meet and worshiped him and returned to the upper room with great joy. Can you believe it? Man, can you believe it? This, this guy, he's the guy. This is the guy. This is the dude. This is the one. It's him. It's him. And he just ascended, and we saw him go to heaven. And he says, wait to receive power from on high, so let's go. And for 10 days, they were there joyfully praying with anticipation for the Holy Spirit to be poured out with joy, great joy of what we'd seen. Even the guy on the road to Emmaus, the two guys, doesn't our heart burn within us? Why? Because they started to get it. 
This is the guy. I understand it now. There's something on the inside that says, yes, I'm a part of something great. I got in the harvest. This is a harvest of joy. Somebody say joy. They couldn't believe who he was, what he had done. Joyful amazement, Luke 24 says. In fact, every grief, every weeping, when you know Jesus, can be turned into joy, John 16 says. He even says, no one can take your joy from you. He says, I've come that your joy might be made full. you be joyful. You're, I'm coming so you would be joyful. And am I, am I full of joy? Am I full of happiness, of gladness, as if I won the lottery, as when men conquer a city and they divide the plunder and they spoil it and they say, I think I have too much. I think I will never think or worry about money again. That's the spiritual resource we have. Man, to not worry about where I'll spend eternity anymore. Not worry about being depressed or anxious or fearful or if God loves me or if I'm gonna go to a devil's hell. I've won the spiritual lottery. I've got victory in Jesus. There's no lack in him. There's no emptiness in him. There's no questions in him. And it's like as if I've won that harvest, I say, yes, there is security for my family. Yes, there is plenty in my spiritual bank. Yes, there's generosity now because I have more than enough in Jesus. Or do we just go to church and believe good doctrine? And a boy, pastor man, and good job, worship team. Or we say, no, man, I am so in abundance with Jesus. That's why the disciples, the Bible says, were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit in Acts 13. You can be filled with all joy and peace, believing, Paul says, abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed that over his church. I pray you would be filled with all joy and peace, believing. And Paul said with his church in 2 Corinthians, he says, we are fellow workers with joy. We're fellow workers together for joy. And we overflow with joy, even in affliction, he said. Even James says, count it all joy, even in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing endurance. Why? Because there's something that you're going through. Man, and it's okay because Jesus is abundant. This harvest is plenty. It is abundant that what he is doing, and when you reap it, man, you're taking in lost souls and you're participating, and you say, man, as we take in lost souls, as we work with him in this harvest, there is such a gladness of souls being saved. Though we've not seen him, we love him. And though we do not see him now, but we believe in him, we greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Does that define your life? Does that define our church? That though we've not seen him, we love him. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. Right now, until he comes, we can rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Man, what a Jesus. How awesome he really must be for somebody to write joy that many times in the Bible. I mean, how many times did I just say joy? And I don't know if I even get it yet. I don't even know if, if I quite comprehend how awesome this Jesus is. Begin to read Hebrews again, and just as you begin to 
get into Hebrews, you just start getting amazed at this wonderful Christ. And I can say joy all day long, but until you see Jesus, you won't see joy. Who is he? He's the one for whom all things are things, and through him are all things, Hebrews says. John said he's the word of God made flesh, and Genesis said he be the one that crushed the serpent's head for Adam. He is the Noah that saves us from the flood. He's the Abraham's ram. He's Jacob's wrestler. He's Joseph's inheritance. He's Samson's strength. Mm. He's a Moses that leads you out of captivity. He's a Joshua that breaks your Jericho walls. He's a David that fights your Goliath. He's a Jonah that comes through the belly of death. He's the one walking in Shadrach's fire. He's Daniel's lion tamer. He's the one who breathed and made Ezekiel's dry bones come to life. He's the one Isaiah saw the, that the deaf would hear his words. And out of their gloom and darkness, blinded eyes would see. He's that miracle virgin child, our suffering servant whose stripes would heal us. He's the Lord's anointed. Isaiah said he came to preach good tidings to the poor, blind, bind up brokenhearted, and proclaim liberty to the captives. The psalmist declared he's the right hand of the Lord who is exalted, who works valiantly on your behalf. He's the one with the woman with the... Yet the sinful, the sinful woman at the well, he says, even though she did not know herself, she said gladly and joyfully, he told me everything I ever did, and she didn't care who knew, because what Jesus thought of her. She was not ashamed to leave her water pot and preach Jesus in John 4. He's the one with the woman who, at the, with the issue of blood, outcast from the presence of God, who simply touched his cloak was then touched by his flowing presence and welcomed clean. He's the one which the blind man said, I do not know one thing, but that which I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He's the one that rescues us, the psalmist declared, out of darkness in the shadow of death and breaks our bands apart. Colossians says he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us out of, his heaven, out of that kingdom into his heavenly light. The Bible says he's the gentle and humble of heart, the giver of rest for our souls. He's the one who has revealed the love and grace and truth of the Father, John said. He's the one who is our peace, who broke down the dividing wall that separates. Revelation declares him as the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Romans declares he's the one to whom all creation groans for. He's the one that when he came, all the seas and wind calm, fish and bread multiplied, and the grave gave up its captives. Even the stubborn donkey colt was tamed by his own riding. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. He's the image of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the one. He's the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the son of God. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and he's Jesus. He's pretty awesome. And that's not just the end. It's, it's what he's made you to be. 
The Bible says he has justified you, declared you legally innocent in heaven's most high courts, just as if you'd never sinned. He has reconciled you to make you a friend of God, closer than a brother. He's regenerated you, made you born again and alive in Christ. He's sanctified you, made you holy as he is holy. The Bible says he's made you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but you are now the people of God. You had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's the one that has bestowed on us the love of the Father, that we would be called children of God such as we are. And we know that when he appears, John says, we will be like him because we will see him then just as he is. Do I have the joy of harvest? Have I won something? Have I gained something in knowing Christ? That's why Paul can say, man, that I might know him. Even in the fellowship of his sufferings, if by any means... I can attain that resurrection. Man, just to know him, that he is so good. The rose of Sharon and lily of the valley. How can we not be the most joyful people on the face of the earth? If you've gained Jesus, you've gained joy. The question perhaps is, if you have not joy, have you Jesus? If we have not joy, do we know him? Have we met him? Do we see him for who he is? I want us to pray tonight that, man, I want to know him. I want to see him as he is. And that everything else pales into comparison. It's like Isaiah when he saw him and the train of his robe filled the temple and he just bowed down said, man, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And all the angels were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Would you stand with me tonight, worship team, would you come?